Okay, so I'm going to invite Doug up um, very soon, so I'm going to go at, give us a few points soon. Doug's going to come and share his testimony tonight. Yeah, so we're carrying on. Um, in the book of Luke, I am loving, I am absolutely loving going through the book of Luke because I am loving getting to know Jesus and his amazing character, his amazing love for each one of us, his incredible mercy, compassion. I'm just loving it. Like every single week, I'm like, whoa, whoa, and looking into these, into these passages a little bit more. So Luke Chapter 5, 27 to 32, I'm going to give you a few quick points. If, you've, if you take notes, get ready. I'm going to give you a few quick points. And I do have the, um, the screen up there to help you, or if you want to, you could just take a snapshot shortly of a few points. So Luke 5, 27 to 32, let's look at Jesus and Levi. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. He said, Hide my, hide my, be my disciple. Then what does Levi do? He gets up, left everything, and followed him. Wow, that is challenging, isn't it? Levi got up, left everything, followed him. Later, I don't know if this is later, like later in the day, later in the week. I don't know, but it's later. Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honour. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, his mates, his workmates, and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, so basically the religious people, complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. He didn't, they didn't come directly to Jesus, but they went to his disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Isn't that awful to say that about Levi? Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus then answered, it's like, he's like, oh, I heard that, or at least they told Jesus. And then so he answers directly. And he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. So, we've, we've looked into, uh, over the last few weeks, Jesus, um, uh, he came across a demon-possessed man and released him. He was set free, set totally free. We saw that Jesus had compassion on him and also on Simon Peter's mother-in-law. We saw that a few weeks ago. She was healed. Jesus had compassion on her. A couple of weeks ago, Sheridan, um, Jay and I looked into the same scripture around um, Jesus reaching out and embracing the man with leprosy. Again, incredible compassion went against what you were supposed to do at that time, reached out and set him free. Last week, Pastor Simon, Tim and Kathan spoke about the compassion of Jesus yet again for the lame man who was lowered. For those of you who are here, remember, he was lowered through the drop down through the roof and Jesus saw him and had compassion. I am amazed by Jesus' compassion. It's so beautiful. Um, and so he, de he has demonstrated 
as we've been looking, that he does not view the sick or sinners as scum. He's demonstrated that as we've been looking at. He does not view them as, as scum and he never treated them as such either. He treated them with dignity. He loved on them. He accepted them and accepted them and he cared for them. Not as scum, but as an honored, valued, and loved person. Okay, point number one. Do we place value upon each other by the way we treat each other, the way we speak to, or even about each other? Do we place value upon each other? Do we honor one another? Do we love one another? Do we love and honour our Christian friends and acquaintances, if you're a Christian? And also those who maybe they don't love and honour Jesus, but do we love and honour people who are not necessarily in relationship with Jesus? Do we love and honour all people? Do we love and honour all people as we've seen Jesus does, wherever, whenever? Be like Jesus. Jesus loves and honours you. He loves and he honours you. And he loves to remove any labels off you, such as scum, or maybe for me, a challenge for me, I had a label over me as a girl um, of shy. And Jesus wanted to remove that off me because that didn't describe who I am. I may have acted that way, but he wanted to remove that off me. So don't wear any labels that don't, are not you, that are not the truth. Jesus loves and honours you. I just feel to encourage, I, I was saw Blake before. Blake, I just feel to encourage you that um, God has spoken a word into your life that you know um, around leadership, around the call of God on your life. And I feel that he wants to just encourage you. Tonight, that has been placed upon you. It is still there. And, I, and he just says, come on, boy. Come on, boy. Love your son. Want to lead you. Continue to lead you on. Awesome. Okay. Levi, he gets up and he immediately follows Jesus. Do we do that in our lives? Do we do that? Do we immediately follow Jesus? Do we honour him? Do we honour Jesus in our homes like Levi did, he invited him as guest of honour. Do we invite, honour him in our homes or in our lives? This is at the home, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do we honour him in our lives? Not half-hearted, but full-hearted. Is that up there? Yeah. Awesome. Levi, by inviting Jesus into his home, was being purposed to build relationship with him. Are we purposed in that? Are we purposed in that? Also, Levi wasn't proud. He, had, he positioned himself to respond. He was in a position to respond. He was here as, I guess, what was classed as a sinner, a tax collector, you know, they were known to take um, people's, you know, take bits on the side, to take, um, anyway, take, 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 take. Um, he had posi positioned himself, though, not in a place of pride. He was ready to respond. He wasn't, um, yeah, I guess, 
I see him as a person that said, you know, I don't have everything all together. You know, I've seen this guy, Jesus. Maybe he knew him a little bit. I don't know. He'd at least seen or heard some of these stories, surely. You know, he knew um, about Jesus at least. And he could see him or, or hear the stories of freedom and love imparted into people's lives, freedom that had set people free. And he was obviously in a place where he was ready for that himself. He was open to that, maybe even hungering for that, going, I need that. He could have been in a position to, I guess the opposite of honouring, a position of honouring Jesus would be in a position of pride. He could have been in a position of pride, going, no, I'm all good. I'm not sick, you know. I don't need the doctor, you know, like the scripture says. I'm, I'm all good. I've got a home. I've got the job, you know, with the perks. I've got the job and I don't need that love and freedom side. Well, maybe I don't feel that love and freedom, but, you know, I could go out and buy um, a nice new stallion, a stallion, yeah, they didn't buy cars, but I'll name that stallion Ferrari. Um, and maybe I'll get a pool in the backyard or whatever. I don't need anybody. I'm okay. I'm all good. I'm all good. Don't, I don't need anything else. And I don't need to follow anyone. They can follow me. You know, he, could have, he would have a lot of people following him. They can follow me. He could have been in that place, and he would not. If he was in that place of pride, I'm all good, then he would not have got up and followed Jesus. I want to encourage us, if we've got any pride, to shake it off. Because to follow Jesus, we need to shake off pride. And I love what Sheridan said this morning. He said, Jesus is looking for disciples or followers, not critics. He's looking for followers, not critics. So that was great that Levi was positioned for that. And yeah, as I said, I guess that Levi has had seen the Jesus encounters. He'd seen these things take place. And so he was prepared to get up. Obviously, no pride. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow. And he was prepared to leave the comfort zone. The comfort zone would have been what he was used to. Sitting there, the tax collector, he was prepared to leave the comfort zone or the status quo. Are we ready to leave the comfort zone, the status quo? So tonight, Doug is going to leave his comfort zone. I want you to honour Doug, <laughs> tonight as he can't, I've left my comfort zone, come on, I'd rather be sitting there. <laughs> yeah, honour him. He's going to share some of his story with us. Yeah, come on, give it up for, for him. Yeah. <laughs> we, and we honour you. Thanks, Jen. Um, well, to follow after Tyra, and then after Jan. Yeah, um, can I just get a bit comfortable? <laughs> nah, um, yeah, um, I'm, man, isn't he good? Um, isn't he good? My story basically is a, um, very much like Levi's. Um, many of my friends' parents probably would have seen me as scum. Um, um, I was very troublesome. Um, I was raised by just my mother. I didn't have a father. Uh, he split when I was one. Um, but my mother was amazing. Uh, she, she had her job at the hospital and then she had three cleaning jobs and just to raise me and my brother. Um, 
she truly was special. Um, and I just, one of those whore kids, you know, just one of those troublesome kids that um, always up to stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Um, I made her, her life pretty miserable right through till I got saved pretty much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I grew up quite rebellious. So I was, um, yeah, I was doing, you know, I was, I was, before I went to high school, I was involved with a lot of theft and I was on the streets and um, we were just doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and I was hanging out with the wrong crowds. I always found myself hanging out with older people. Um, so I was e- easily influenced, I, I guess. Um, and I really made it hard for my mother. We, she was working, you know, extremely a lot to sort of give us what she could. Um, and I was, you know, st- you know, I needed stuff, and and my means of getting stuff was was basically theft. Um, so I was stealing off my mother, and it was hard for her. And um, it got to a point where sh- she had enough, and I guess her ways of dealing with it was to send me to boarding school when it come to um, high school. So. Uh, right through primary school and intermediate, I was always getting kicked out of class and I was, I was troublesome and uh, always at the principal's office, Mr Bartlett, you again. Um, and she, she just, I guess that was her way up, just of, you know, maybe I could install some discipline and stuff in him. So I went to Tipani College, um, boarding school, which I didn't really like that much. Um, I was very focused on hanging out with my mates that, I guess weren't really my mates, um, they were just acquaintances. Um, and I lasted 10 months there before I was kicked out, well not kicked out, sorry, I, I, I hitchhiked my way out of there and I went back to Hamilton. Um, so I went AWOL as they call it, um, so I hitched back to Hamilton, this was third form, um, and then went back to hanging out with my mates and my mum found out and, and she drove me back up uh, and this happened two or three times. And then we had a, um, a meeting with the principal and he says, well, if he doesn't want to be here, what's the point? And we finally agreed on something. Um, yeah, so, so I ended up back in Hamilton where I was, um, one of my mates, I remember walking into his lounge and um, there his, his, his father, his stepdad was with his mates all around the table and they were all shooting up. Um, so I was exposed to drugs really early. Um, yeah, and it wasn't long after that that we tasted our first, you know, taste of marijuana at the age of 13 and stuff like that. So drugs really took a, was very significant in my life. Um, that led on to, you know, other drugs and, and this and that. Um, I remember one of my mate's parents thought that they would try and reach out and um, offer to have me to stay with them, um, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, it really showed um, what sort of people they were. and So I went and stayed with them and I went to school um, from their house and it wasn't long before, um, you know, because I was very troublesome and I was very rebellious. Uh, no one could tell me what to do in a sense. Um, before I sort of burnt my bridges there and, and I guess I was just bad news for their kid, which is fair enough. Um, so 14 come around, um, and then all of a sudden, my dad comes down. And he comes to, turns up to this place, and I'd never met my dad before. And he comes to pick me up. And you'd imagine my response would have been, oh, now you want to play dad. You know, so 
I went to live with him, um, which, you know, it was, I hated it, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, but I guess I didn't, I, I, I guess I, at times I would see what I missed out on. Um, but then I guess what I really hated was the discipline and, and the fact that I wanted to do what I wanted to do um, because of that rebelliousness in me. Uh, we moved up to Kaitaia where I attended um, Kaitaia College and that's where all my family's from on my father's side. Um, but just hated it with him. Um, he was quite abu- abusive, you know, so his, his sense of discipline was um, the iron fist, which, you know, which I guess, yeah, I mean, each to their own. Um, I had a girlfriend up there that was quite concerned with my happiness because I had actually had a girlfriend up there. Well, um, <laughs> and so she was trying to convince me to go to the guidance counselor and this and that, and I refused. And she went for me. Um, and then I was caught up, and I just, I was just like, wow. Then my father heard about that, and from that 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 day, the afternoon when they rung, concerned about me, he drove, he jumped me in the car and drove me back down to my mother. He had enough. Um, so that was. From there on, things up the ante a bit. Um, every weekend, I was drugs, alcohol, friends, parties, um, cars. Um, things, yeah, started to really spiral downwards. My mum was very concerned. Um, drinking every weekend. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just drinking all the time. Drugs every weekend was another was another time to get wasted. Um, uh, everything other than shooting up, pretty much. E- everything other than needles. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, that's all I knew. That was all I knew. Um, things were getting so bad with, with drinking that I was drinking and driving every weekend. It was, it was the joke, who's the soberest? Um, and it was always me that drove. I could never get too drunk where I couldn't drive. Um, yeah, so I guess one DIC later, two DICs later, um, and on the third DIC, um, they just brought in that law where three strikes and you're gone. Um, so I was off on holiday. Um, I got locked up. I was served. I, I got given five months and served two and a half months. When you go to jail, um, you get put in a place called classification, which is remand, and you go to, to this place for two weeks. They classify you whether or not you're low, medium, or high risk, and then you get put into, into, your, um, into your hut. Um, in this time that I was there, it was the first day I was, I was sailed up with a guy, and he was... Um, he was just, just a normal guy, just couldn't wait to get out, get back into the clubs. But um, he wasn't sort of my character, so like my style of character, so I sort of just kept to myself. On the third day, I, I got transferred out of remand, something that just doesn't happen there. Um, and I got taken down from upstairs and put into a cell with a guy downstairs. And this guy was called Derek. Now, I remember seeing Derek the day before in the gym, they were playing Crash. And Crash, if you don't know, is a game of, of league on the concrete. Um, and this guy's solid. Like, he's, he's solid. And he was putting in hard hits, and he was just like, the man. You know, like, I was just looking at him like, 
Well, wouldn't want to stand in front of him. But, um, and then this is the guy that I was sailed up with. Um, so instantly I knew who he was. I had, you know, just like, wow, this, this dude, I'm in with this guy. Um, he was on top of his bunk reading the Bible. And I walked in, I didn't think anything of it. He started to spark the conversation, normal chit-chat, what are you in for? <laughs> um, and, I, you know, mine was pretty petty. Um, try and make something up to sound hard, you know. <laughs> but um, he, he was in because he used to do all this fraud, thousands of dollars of fraud at the airports. And, um, and he, so he was cashing in these, these fraud checks and he was getting all this money, thousands of dollars worth. Then he got born again. And God said to him he needed to hand himself in for all of this crime. Um, and so there he was, he handed himself in. He was telling me his testimony. And then he, said, he simply said to me, have you ever thought about making a decision for Jesus? And I said, no, I haven't. But then I, I, I thought back and I've always wondered, even those moments when I was like high as a kite, drunk, I'd be that, that weird friend that'd be like, bro, what do you reckon we're here for? What, what do you reckon we're here for? High as a kite, what do you think we're here for? Are we here to have babies, overpopulate this world, go to war, you know, build mega cities? What are we here for? So I always had that search for truth. Um, and this guy asked me, Derek, he asked me, have you ever thought about making a decision? Obviously I pulled back and, oh, nah, man, that's not me. You know, um, he says, what can you lose? What can you lose? No one knows that you're in here and you've made a decision. No one, if that's not you, go back to how you were. You, can't lose, you don't lose anything. But look at what you gain. Um, so, so he challenged me, and, I says, and he says, you, you want to make a decision? I said, okay. And it was so awkward. We're in this cell. Um, so he sat me down on the only chair that's in our cell. And he says, just repeat after me. And I was ready to repeat it. And he says, just make sure you say it from your heart. And so he led me through the simple prayer, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me for my sins, and I believe that you, are, that you rose again by the power of God. And he said, and, and I said, in Jesus' name, and when I said in Jesus' name, I felt this, this, this feeling, this, this being inside me lift. It, it was amazing. And, and then when I said amen, I felt this being come into me literally come into me and as soon as I felt that it was what followed was this joy this love this peace that I just and I, and I just man I had a smile from ear to ear it was amazing I remember looking out the I'd say my window but it was bars <laughs> and um and the sky was never as blue as I've seen it before it was so blue I remember jumping up on, on because the colour was so unreal, I remember jumping up on the bed, looking out, trying to see some, gla- some grass, because I wanted to see what the green looked like. And it was so green, that I'd, and it was just amazing. Like right there, there, there and then, I had had an understanding of what life was for. It was to know Jesus. Um, and instantly... And I mean instantly. I smoked cigarettes, I smoked drugs. Any drug you put in front of me, I would have taken. Um, drink, I was a womanizer. I swore habitually. Um, and instantly, I couldn't, couldn't swear. I couldn't think of like, those thoughts that I had about women again. I, couldn't, I didn't want a cigarette. I just not long had a cigarette in the yard. I didn't want a cigarette. I didn't want to drink. 
I didn't want to do any of those things that I used to do, used to do. and it was completely amazing. Um, you know, and that's that's what God wants to do for everyone was is just really encounter us so that we can encounter Him. Um, so, yeah. So I was in jail. I got to spend another eight days in classification and remand with this guy, Derek. He, he, he really was encouraging. We, we fasted and prayed together, and he showed me what it was to fast and pray together. Um, we were in the Word um, all the time. Um, that's where I really had a love for God's Word. It come alive to me. I remember I asked, because I wanted a Bible straight away. Boom, where's my Bible? You know, like, God's alive, where's my Bible? So I had to, I had to book an appointment to see the chaplain. So I went to this, this chaplain, and this guy was, I guess he'd seen it all before. He didn't even acknowledge me when I walked in. And I says, hello. And he goes, hello. And I says, no, I was just giving my life to Jesus, man. I need a Bible. And he goes, and he looked up at me. He goes, oh, that's great. He says, do you realize you've picked the hardest life anyone could choose to, to live? And I, I stopped. And I, and I thought about that. And, and it sat with me this whole time. And he is so right. I, I needed that because God really did zap me. He really did change me completely. And I was, like, it was the highest high I'd ever experienced, and I'd experienced some highs. <laughs> it was amazing. The joy that I had. I remember singing Yellow Submarine locked up in prison. I, I was just, like, Derek, I think Derek was blown away how, how, um, like, how blown away I was about it all. Um, and it truly was. And that word that that chaplain gave me really... I met him not that many years ago and, and I told him about the story and he was quite shocked about it all but I really did need that word. Um, I really did need to know that it was going to be tough and that I needed to you know, just know that early um, and how true that is. So I just want to finish now. Um, just really thankful... Um, that, that God has set me free from everything that I used to be. Um, like, he really does set us free from sin and the fear of death, honestly. Um, so if God's calling you, put your hand up. Wow. Wonderful. So good. Wow, I want to hear the next part now. Need to book you in for the next part. Wasn't that fantastic? Wow, yeah, come on. Wow. Thank you, Doug, and thank you, God. So awesome. He sang Hard Am I in prison. Isn't that cool? Welcome, welcome. I want to read to finish. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And this is Paul writing. And Paul um, is another bloke, a bit like Levi or Matthew or Doug, who has come a long way from where God found him. He used to kill Christians. So a little bit bad. <laughs> but here he writes, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. 
who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me and me and Levi and Doug and you so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realise that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Paul also was in a place of, thank you God. Thank you God for where you've taken me and where you've brought me. And like Doug and like Levi, and he got up and he went and he followed and he invited Jesus into his home as the guest of honour. So I want to give opportunity for us to respond tonight to these great words that we've heard tonight from Tyra and, and from Doug and from the life of Levi and Paul. We need to respond to Jesus because He is here by His Spirit. He sent Holy Spirit to be with us always. And He is beckoning us. He is saying, Hide in my, hide in my, come near, come close. I want to do this journey with you like I met with Doug in that prison cell. I want a journey with you. I want to walk alongside you. I want to lead you and guide you.